right. Well then, uh, we got George in the chat. She's going to be running that, and uh, we've got um, a good a good conversation lined up. I think so. Uh, let's see if we can go ahead and get Shop Dad here. I howdy, see howdy. Shop Dad. Hopefully, you can hear me as well. I think I can. I'm hoping that Wonderful. everybody else can. <laughs> oh man, what would it be if it wasn't live, right? Oh yeah. Uh, so, all right. So, Matt, aka Shop Dad, how you doing tonight? I'm doing good. I I just finished a big buttload of work, and I finally get the chance to relax a little bit. Oh, that's awesome. Um, now I'm gonna make some assumptions here, but the whole buttload of work you've been doing is that is that the wiki that you've been working on? That that is the wiki. So that is finally live, and hopefully we get a couple of editors to work on that, and I can forget it exists for a month. <laughs> well, why don't you tell us about that wiki? Yeah, um, well, I, I've been a member of a couple of uh, various, you know, Discord and, you know, Twitter groups where there's just a ton of people doing awesome work, making things to share, teaching each other how to, uh, how to mold, build, how to 3D print, and, uh, it's it's just been wonderful to watch that, particularly because when when Pleasure Forge came up, the the shop that I had the the chance to start with, you know that stuff didn't exist. It was really it was a tough time to be a new shop. Uh, so I, I just love seeing all that collaboration, but there's nowhere to kind of pull it all together. You have to go searching for it. And I thought, well, you know, I'm I make I make my money off of shops sending me work. Maybe I should help those shops out a little bit in return. So we, I got with some friends, uh, uh, Fergus and uh, Fergus with, with Monster Smash Studios and uh, Mazecrete, who is with Loot Cave, and they helped me with the technical side of getting it up, and I threw a backbone on it, and now we're, we're up and running, and we'll see what happens with it. Oh, that's awesome. I had a chance to kind of glance at it, and there is so much detail in there. There's so much that I am just in love with about that. Um, I think George has thrown a link to it uh, up in the chat, so uh, everybody can check that out. I believe you said your website is redirected there for now, uh, onlygoblins.com? Well, the the Only Goblins website, it only exists so you can get the tracking board. So if you want to know where your job is, then it used to be you go to Only Goblins. That sends you to my Trello, and it tells you uh, where your 3D print is at in the process. If I'm doing mold build, have we finished hard coat? That's really not all that important. So what I did was I I redirected Only Goblins to because that's a that's a memorable name. It's easy to get to. So I yeah. redirected that to the wiki, and then if you scroll down to the very bottom of the wiki, I think there's one little link that will take you to my job board. Gotcha. So you can still get you can still get to the jobs, but I think the wiki is kind of more important than than the Trello. Okay, so um, well, you just mentioned a whole bunch of stuff that I want to get into. Um, first, you mentioned uh, Pleasure Forge, and tell yeah. me what what's your relationship there? So, uh, Pleasure Forge came about quite a while ago. I I had just graduated with my first engineering degree, and I got a nice a nice little bonus. And I said, "Well, I'm I'm an adult. You can't stop me." And bought a 3D printer and a little CNC, and started making my first 
my first toys. I actually called it Pleasure Forge because I was planning for it to be like this engineering themed toy company. And my very first toys were milled out of solid aluminum. Oh, wow. uh, so that was the that was the idea. And then and then we kind of made the first Dungeons and Dragons design. And uh, my friends were like, haha, that's 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 so cool. I bet you could sell it. <laughs> and I was like, haha, I, 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 I'll try. And then it yeah. sold and then more sold and more sold. And then I got just so incredibly lucky to have uh, the partner that I have who she came in and took my my little funny joke and turned it into this successful business. So I, I still do mold build. Um, I still do the 3D printing. Um, I offer designs from time to time. But really, when you talk about like the success story, uh, that's that's Kristen or uh, we call her the Goblin King that did gotcha. that. Yeah, well, um, I'll throw it out there now, but uh, we do have Kristen scheduled for uh, the the live stream coming up. I have to see when that is. When is that booked for? August 28th is when I've got Kristen coming on to do uh, a session with us. So that will be a lot of fun. We'll get the other half of that conversation. Oh, it's going to be so cool. I mean, I can tell you about all the nerdy stuff. Like uh, if you want me to talk for 15 minutes about the importance of light off delay. That was my cats in the background. If you heard it, yeah. if you want to hear about the importance of light off delay, I can talk to you for 15 minutes on that. But if you want the cool stuff, like, you know, how do you get those really crazy ribbons or, uh, you know, just those beautiful pores that that's her all day long. Yeah. Um, you and I talked a little bit and I kind of got the mm-hmm. sense of where that, that division of labor is and um, how you guys have kind of, you know, uh, run with your strengths. And that is freaking awesome. I think uh, a lot of shops do that actually. I mean, it's, it's, if you kind of look, if you look at that, who are the, the, the shops that I think a lot of us, look up to i think it's pretty common to have you've got the the engineering partner and you've got the artist partner or you've got some variation because you'll just go trying to do one of these solo and i know people that have done it and are extremely successful at it mm-hmm. but you will go bonkers yeah i think uh kenton is a one-man shop uh, he does all the designs all the engineering all the back-end stuff as well as all the front mm-hmm. end and but then uh, we had uh, Fantasy Grove on, uh, Tibbs and Alex. And Same got, idea, right? Yeah, they've got a great yeah. split in the way they do things. Um, now, we're going to have to come back to the light off delay uh, because that that's the little bit of nerd in me that wants to come back to that. Um, but tell me about the, the, the business that you created after Pleasure Forge. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it's not hugely popularized. I don't make a big deal about it because, um, technically I've never gone commissions open. That's actually kind of the crazy thing about it. Uh, but you know, I, I, I talk with my friends all the time. I'm, I'm always talking with Mechamancer over at fantasy Grove or, uh, I mean, even Fergus, who's just amazingly good at organizing and keeping these jobs running. And everybody was kind of fighting with the same thing that printing and mold building. It's just soul sucking. For most people. Yeah. I think it's really a wonderfully interesting technical challenge. I, I just finished some mold builds for uh, CLL Lovecrafts. It's a, a new shop coming up. And they sent me, I mean, just these these crazy challenging designs. And I, I loved every minute of trying to figure out. And I had several failures. I've been doing this for six years. I still blew up the first two molds. 
Um, wow. But anyway, so I really like that side of it. A lot of other people were struggling with it. And I said, you know, I've got some spare time. Why don't I see if I can uh, offer this and, and maybe help some friends get some some stuff up and running. And um, I created Only Goblins to kind of break that away from the main business. And uh, I have not had an, an open slot and that's the funny thing, right? I've never actually gone commissions open, but somehow my board has never actually been empty. I, uh-huh. I fear for my sanity if I ever actually change it from comms closed to comms open. <laughs> so let's see. What do you do? You do uh, 3D printing. Mm-hmm. Um, you do the finishing and then the mold making. Is that is that the extent of I- it or? Yeah, yeah. So I think if if you want if you want real like end to end job order, uh, that's that's a little bit outside of, of me. That's that's taking you over to somebody like Monster Smash Studios or somebody that can really organize all that work. But um, I will take it from the the smallest job that I offer is pre flighting. So if you've been printing the same thing, you printed it six times, you don't know why it's failing. It's like a hundred bucks. I'll look at the file. I'll go and run it through kind of my pre-flighting process. Uh, I might print it at a you know one tenth scale on my printer, and then help you to get it to work. And that's like that's the smallest thing I offer. And then you know that goes all the way up. In theory, it goes all the way up to mold build. But mold build, we're still a little. We haven't entirely started offering that. I've done it for uh, one person so far, hmm. but I'm trying to get I'm trying to get a, a new kind of mold up and running first. Okay. And once I'm, I'm, once I am totally confident in uh, hybrid molds, then that'll be more, more commonplace. But for right now, I'm still, it's like a, I, I give you a discount because I know it's going to be you're my guinea pig. Uh, <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so, so at this point, you're taking it all the way up to the point where the your client um, ends up making the molds. Is that is mm-hmm. that kind of where you are now? Okay. So 3D yeah, that's, printing, that's the majority of the work, um, finishing and polishing all the way or producing the finish that they mm-hmm. want because so that's yeah. something like, uh, I've got this one right here for, uh, uh, Luke cave. And that's a, that's a good example. Mm-hmm. And you've got two different textures on there. I know. I, I was so happy. Uh, he, he sent me the order. And he said, okay, so this one, I want to have the glossy and this one, I want to have that, that satin finish. And I sent him a message back saying, Hey, um, can we, can we split the difference? And I was so excited when he said, yes, I was like, Oh my <laughs> God, I cannot wait to ruin my life by trying to figure out how to do this. Uh, and it, it, it was a wonderful, just a wonderful outcome. Yeah. Uh, my, my, I'm... I think my lights probably wash it out a little bit. You can't see it all that great, but it's a no, I can uh, see the. I mean, the the top half of each one of those shafts is has a oh, nice it's just high glass. Polish. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. you've got that matte finish on the lower half. Um, and we can talk about how you can do this without having to invest in the same stuff I have, because this is a two K paint that I spray under a, a class one clean room HEPA filter, and then I UV cure it, and then I'm polishing it with a three M polish. You don't have to do this to get this finish at all. You can get this almost the same finish for next to nothing out of a rattle can. You just have to know what to use, oh. but you don't have to invest the, the, you don't have to go out and invest $2,000 in equipment. You really don't. 
Okay, now you got me curious. Do you want to walk us through that? Absolutely. Um, so let me open my my box over here that I've filled <laughs> with with random junk. Yeah. And while you're doing that, I'm going to let everybody know that um, the chat is going crazy. Um, I've seen Tibbs. I've seen Venus. I've seen Mechamancer. I've seen oh, so many oh, folks. Oh, wonderful. Um, and everybody's in love with what you're doing. So um, there's a whole lot of love out there. And uh, Lunar Kaleidoscope asking, when will Shop Dad start selling tickets to tour his brain? Oh, you don't want to do that. <laughs> oh, my God. So we were just talking about this. Do you guys know the um, was it the, the crazy frog ringtone from Vodafone? Uh-huh. So I was in I was in Germany when that came out. And it drove me crazy. And I came back to America and I was here for maybe a week and then it made it to America. So I got my brain was double fried by the crazy frog ringtone. And that is all that is playing in there 24 seven. You do not want to be in there. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's that's hilarious. Uh, And I'll just remind everybody, if you've got questions, drop them in the chat. George will collect those and I'll try to grab some as we go along as well. Um, but I am curious about this process you've got. Yeah. And I've, I've got, I picked out some of my favorites that I, I like to show off. I've got a whole, um, series of these. And if you go to the wiki, you can read these ones in particular, uh, plus a couple more are actually listed on the wiki. There's no pictures, but there's some pros and some cons talking about them, uh, under, under the, the three, the master section. But, uh, let's see here, this and this, this is what I do. These are both. These both get neutralized with an abrasive media sandblast. Uh, it's actually pretty easy. It just takes a lot of air. And then they get coated with that 2K paint, which you don't want to use. 2K paint is just so incredibly, incredibly toxic and it's explosive. Yeah. And then we UV cure it. And then we either hand polish it up to this beautiful mirror finish or we blast it a second time to take it down to this like ultra matte. It feels, you know, when you get the really high end toys and they've got that velvet finish to them, that's yeah. exactly what it feels like. And this is expensive and it's very, very hard to do. Um, Real quick on that matte finish. Do you have any problem with pilling? No, I, I have not, but you know, it's, it's still fairly new. There's a reason why I give people discounts because there's always that chance that, you know, this is the first year we're trying it. It could go terribly wrong. I could have one of my, my poor friends that are letting me use them for the, the test subjects, emailing me in a panic. It could happen. So far, though, you know, so, so good. Uh, um, Pleasure Forge is asking, why do you eat my snacks at night? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. We've been sidetracked. So <laughs> I, I sleepwalk a little bit. Oh, no. Just I sleep snack. Um, <laughs> they, they, yeah. So, so Kristen and Star, they call it the night cruncher. I don't remember it. Uh, but we woke up the other day and there were, I think, six Cheetos, just six Cheetos out. That was it. I mean, not in the bag, like on the ground. Um, you know, I'll, I'll eat like a half a slice of cheese right now. I'm trying to kind of be more careful about my my health. And so I guess the Night Cruncher has decided that the way to, to be better about health is to eat one half of the cheese and leave the other half of the slice on the counter for the morning. Okay. All right. Back to the topic at hand. Um, 
Okay, so you were talking about don't use the 2K finish. It's explosive. No, no. Yeah. It's bad. I mean, I love it. I love it. But uh-huh. I do, like, I get that that feeling where your whole lower half kind of clenches up. Because I'm like, any moment now, it's... it. I have to imagine what it's going to be like when there's, like, the one half of the people who know me professionally at my uh, Matt Blew Himself Up funeral. And then the other half that knew me from my other... Uh, it'll be it'll be a very good eulogy, I'm sure. Um, but you don't have to use it. Okay. Right, so this... This is this as beautiful as this finish is. As soon as you put that easy release spray on it, that man 200, you're going to lose a little bit of this finish. Mm-hmm. And if you just the cheapest rattle can of enamel and just take be careful with your prep, you know, make sure it's clean, don't get any skin oils on it. Um, I mean, that's really the big thing is don't get any, don't get any skin oils, do not paint anything on the same day you cast. That should be like a, a holy, you know, testament. Just if you cast silicone that day, do not touch the master. Don't do it. Um, but yeah, yeah, this is this is almost the exact same finish for a five dollar can. The only downside is that you have to wait about two weeks. You know, a lot of people they they use like Rusto, uh, Rustoleum, yep. and they they say, oh, you know, Rustoleum inhibits. Well, it does inhibit if you follow the cans directions that say, oh, you can touch it in 24 hours. Yeah, you can touch it in 24 hours, but it is not cured until one to two weeks later. Um, that's and not the best one. That's so this one. This a, is the one. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. So, sorry, I get excited. I get excited. <laughs> this is, this is the really hard to apply kind of expensive ultra satin uh, paint. And it's just, it's very finicky, but it gives you this beautiful satin finish, you know, but so does filler primer, just raw filler primer. That is, I think that's the funny, if I could do this entire thing over again, every single one of my masters would just be filler primer. Wow. It creates that same finish, almost the same finish as my expensive, hard to do you know, double sandblasted 2K paint tries to blow you up. And this is, you know, once again, it's like, what, $4 a can? Yeah. And it's just creates that beautiful, almost like you got out of, out of, uh, uh, I think it was Lilo. Was it Lilo that was the, one of the first companies to do the really high-end silicone? It feels like so. that. That's, that's how it comes out. Just, just like theirs. For $4 a can. And any particular brand? Um, I, I'm a Rusto guy myself. The only thing that I'll say about brands is when you find a brand, just stick with it. Yeah. Same thing for, for your, your printer filament. I didn't, nobody told me that, but when you, when you switch from, you know, Ultimaker to Amazon special, you end up in a camp of what's your favorite material. And if you try to switch brands, it just ruins your life for two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um, let's talk equipment because I think you've got a little bit of a printer farm going, don't you? I do. I do. Sorry, I'm looking through my other stuff over here. Yeah. I've got all of these cast. Um, um, so do you prefer resin or FDM? Everything has its place. Okay. Everything has its place. I suggest that if you're starting off, start off with FDM. You're probably not going to be. I think we're we're pushing north of forty different masters, no, forty designs. Sorry, forty designs. So we're we're somewhere north of 
uh, maybe 180, 180 uh, Kristen's pantomime over here, 43 designs. Um, so, you know, we're pushing towards 200 different masters. And at that point, yeah, resin's wonderful. But when you're just getting started, mm-hmm. get, get an FDM, start out with some PLA. Sanding is going to be terrible. Yeah. But you can make everything off of it. You can make your mold shells. There's no awful fumes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not going to get contact dermatitis. That's one of the worst things. Um, that's one of the worst things with resin. I mean, if you yeah. if you look at, at our friends over at Fantasy Grove, I mean, Mechamancer is absolutely capable of making beautiful masters, but poor Rizu would just die because of the resin. Yeah, right. Like uh, there's they have no technical need for me. They had they just have uh, they just have a, a wonderful goblin that is terribly aversely affected by resin. And what's interesting about resin is that it's a sensitizer and you can yes. You can do 20 prints and not have any problems. And on the 21st print, you're going to have some kind of allergic reaction to it. And yes. And that's that's what happened to me. That's that's where I kind of had to start telling people, hey, you got to be careful. Uh, I, I had just was not careful, was getting my hands in the alcohol. Once the resin's mixed with the alcohol, it can go through nitrile gloves and still get you. Oh. That can happen. Oh. So... Uh, yeah, I was I was developing this terrible, terrible cough that was probably not helped by all the mica that's floating around in the air and had these skin burns. And so we bought uh, we bought one of those air quality testers and we we turned it on in the house and you just watched it go up, 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 up. And then it started doing the get out of the area danger beep. I didn't even know that it had that function, but it started doing that warning. You have to leave immediately. And I was like, this is the house we live in. Oh, wow. So, so and that was, I think we only had like two resin printers then. Uh, so how do you vent that? Are you, I assume you're venting that out of the house now. Uh, so we actually built a separate building just for the alcohol cleaning, the resin printing. Uh, so that's all on its own, its own building with a, a just gigantic fan that blows through that HEPA filter. So we try to keep everything kind of as clean as, as possible. Yeah. Okay. Um, 3d i'm sorry fdm printers um have you do you well we talked about pla uh it's a great place Mm -hmm. to start and as you mentioned it's horrible to sand um oh yeah uh then we start talking about abs and asa um are you in that camp so my it's it's been a funny trip i started out in pla i went over to abs uh, my Dongbot 2, our, our second big printer, is in this huge, uh, I mean, the enclosure probably weighs 400 pounds because I made it out of leftover aluminum extrusion. Um, it, we actually, at, at my day job, we got rid of one of those safety enclosures that you put the big Sumitomo robot in. So it can't, if the robot goes crazy, it can't like come out and, and get you by the head and go Terminator on you. Yeah. So that's what our 3D printer, our second 3D printer is in. And uh, that was a heated enclosure. We'd keep it about 80C and let it run for six, seven days straight on a double battery backup. Great prints, beautiful prints. Uh, But, you know, that's in that list of things people don't tell you when you get started is that once you vapor smooth an ABS print, you start a countdown timer on that print. You have anywhere from one month to maybe eight months before it explodes. And and not, you know, it doesn't doesn't boom, but uh, you've done enough printing that you have a, I'm sure you've encountered this. Yeah, um, 
And I mean, to the best I can put together, I'm not a trained engineer. I don't have that background. I'd love to be one day, but um, what I've kind of put together is it kind of creates this imbalance of stress. Absolutely. The- those are, those are skin. Yeah. That's, that is, that is skin strain. That's exactly what's going on. Okay. Yeah, and you're making it so much worse because first you have, you're, you're locking in your crystalline structure faster on the outside than on the inside as you cool down. That's just what's going to happen. Uh, you probably need somebody that's got that chemical engineering background, like Linda in here to, to tell us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, if I remember right, it's, you have, you have that, that skin force building up from the thermal difference. But then on top of that, you're dissolving some of the surface and then evaporating that acetone off. And you're, you're just doubling, tripling those forces. Right. So, um, now I know what I have done. Uh, well, number one, ASA, I haven't had that problem. Um, I've used it. I hear it's like the magic material. Yeah, I've been really surprised. Um, but ABS, yes, they they do have their, their flaws eventually. Um, but now what about resin prints and cure inhibition? How have you dealt with that? So, and actually I have some some stuff we can look at here too. I've got a... a PLA print on the left and a resin print on the right. And I don't know how well we can see it, but this is, this is really cool. This was, um, Allison at something squishy. I told Allison, Hey, I wish that makers had just like a dumb award we could give each other. You know, there's all these awards going around. That's like some corporate person is like, Hey, uh, you know, if you, if you give us enough clicks, we'll, we'll send you an award. And I was like, man, what if we just, can you just make me an award? I can just give people for being cool. And so she made me this beautiful, uh, it's, it's, uh, tentacles holding a, a vibrator, but anyways, yeah. so yeah, the FDM print. Oh yeah. And this is the first one off my new machine before it was even kind of dialed in and it still looks, you know, that's not so bad. Yeah. The new FDM printers are really, it's not what it was seven years ago. Yeah. You can make a business off this without, I mean, it's, you're going to blow your fingers out eventually, but you know, you'll, you'll be in business for three months before you blow your fingers out with the new printers. Yeah. Back in my day, we had to sand uphill in the snow both ways. (laughs) So Um, are you on team Ender three or are you against the Ender three? So I don't even know the name of my machine right now off the top of my head. It is a, um, it's, it's not a Cartesian. It's kind of a standard machine, but the coolest thing about it is that it's got two print heads. And so okay. you can break it up into, you know, print one material, print the other, or you can tell it to print mirror mode. And I love, I love mirror mode. I mean, just it's, it's beautiful in general, but as an engineer, I'm like, oh, there's, there's so much less ringing and you're canceling out because when you go to print a line this way, you print the opposite way here. So you're canceling out that motion and you just get these really great prints. Um, Okay, define ringing, but, because I know what it is, but I'm not sure that everybody else out there does. Okay, so, and the, the way I'm using it is a little bit of a, of a misnomer as well. So we'll, we'll go into what it really is. So ringing, when you try to do any kind of digital step, nothing in nature moves in this kind of square wave. You always approximate it. And if you look at, at, at uh, what's called low gain, you kind of slowly go there. 
Now I've got a little, see if I got a little square thing here I can fall. You kind of slowly round the corner off. And so what you do is you start turning up your proportional and a PID controller, which is what most of these use, you start turning up your proportional gain and then you get there faster. You get this sharper and sharper corner. Unfortunately, you also have your integral and your derivative terms. And particularly that integral likes to do something called integral wind up where it'll actually make you overshoot and then you'll come back up and then back down. So instead of getting this nice sharp curve, you get this ring at the bottom where it bounces. And you can actually see that if you look at some of your 3D prints and what you'll notice is that as you go around an edge, you might see like a little, a very predictable little wobble that's ringing. Yeah, and that happens was... because you turn the, the controller up too high, right? You're trying to get that, that print off fast. Yeah. But when you have a dual headed printer, I mean, just slow it down to half speed. Now the ringing's gone. Right. The way it was described to me was kind of, um, it's like ringing a bell is that there's a certain vibration that kind of develops and it takes mm -hmm. a certain amount of time for that vibration to dissipate. And if you're, if you're doing that, you're doing it in mirror mode. You've, as you mentioned, you've got the, the inertia going in opposite directions and so it's going to cancel that out. But the other you thing you might I, be able to. Yeah. Yeah. I can uh, see that. But in mirror mode, and I'm looking at the uh, green mold to your right there. Um, sorry, I keep jumping all around, but I'm just so excited about all the little geeky stuff. Um, I can imagine printing that in mirror mode. And this is this is such a terrible example because see, I made this wonderful mold to show off and you'll see that it doesn't match up here hmm. and that's because i got i got too excited i broke my own rule my shop dad's number one rule don't rush you're you're going to be doing this for six months don't rush do the week-long print let the paint dry for two weeks i broke my own rule and i wanted this done i made a mold in here and i wanted it done faster so i put it in the low temp oven and i i'm so used to abs that i forgot that the glass transition temperature on pla is what 60 C mm -hmm. 60 degrees C yeah and my my low temp oven was maybe 120 and so it, it while it was in there it bowed this out but yeah absolutely here's um I'd print this in mirror mode just just like that print one half and then as you go you're canceling out those movements yeah interesting okay so I I distracted us uh, we were talking about FDM versus resin um, with your awards there. Um, and boy, like I said, I just kind of got, yeah, I'm like a kid in a candy shop right now. Cause I'm just having so much fun with all this. Uh, so I'll let you lead for a moment. Where would you like to go? Um, let's, uh, let's close up shop on this resin here. Cause I think this is something that, that really, hurts a lot of new shops because it does cause cure inhibition and not all resins are that bad. Some cause a little inhibition. Some cause a lot of inhibition, uh, but yes, they absolutely cause inhibition. It's not hard to deal with as long as once again, you know, follow the number one rule. Don't rush, take your time. If you sand this thing, if you were to perfectly sand this thing down, sand every single surface clean, you wouldn't even need to paint it. That's a little known thing about resin is that it's only that surface layer. And I, 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 I would love to have somebody with a better science, uh, a better chemistry background look into this because you see this thing uh, with some of the older urethanes, it's called urethane bloom. 
where when the urethane is uh, that they put down on wood starts to cure, you'll get this haze on the surface. And I'm really curious if the inhibition has to do with that. But if you actually scour this surface down, even without any coating, you can cast directly to it. Hmm. Now, I don't suggest trying that because the likelihood you actually get this perfectly clean without a gigantic sandblaster and a lot of experience is slim to none. Mm -hmm. But that's the first thing, you know, get this really clean, sand it really clean, uh, come in here. I like to use, I actually have a spray UV coating, but just get a highlighter, put your highlighter on it and then sand it and put it under a UV light and see if you can still see any spots of UV and then just seal it with that uh, that enamel paint, give it two weeks to cure, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Uh, if you touch the bottom of it, if you touch the inside of it, change gloves. Do not touch a mold. Something that we used to see all the time and some of my friends have seen is you start getting, you're like, you get this crescent moon shape of inhibition on a mold. It looks like a, like a, a just like a crescent moon. You're like, what is this? Why is this mold so bad? Dude, you touched the inside of a master and then you touched the inside of your mold and you weren't paying attention. And I don't mean like you did it like touch, touch, like you touched it, you went and had lunch and then you touched the inside of the mold. And now that mold is going to punish you for doing that. So just take your time, you know, be careful, be thorough. And resin is fine to work with. It's it's not that bad until you kind of get ahead of yourself. Okay. Um... I know that I've had some some problems with uh, with resins and causing cure inhibition, and mm-hmm. it was so oh, weird. Yeah. Um, it was like different colors within the same brand. Yes, it, and I was yes. like, "How can this happen?" But it, it was it, it was happening. Um, let's see. I mean, that's I use the um, I love the um, Sriaya Tech smoky black but mm-hmm. i started out with that uv green and that uv green was just so rough it was so i it's i know exactly what you're talking about this yeah. if you touch it you know if you've got half of it sanded and then you touch the part that's not sanded and then you go back and you touch the top you're probably going to be okay that that uv green stuff oh man it's like you had to cut your arm off and then go and get new arms before you could touch anything else it was yeah. it was rough yeah um i'm laughing over here because i have my list of notes and questions and stuff that i want to get to and george is like which question are we on and i i have no idea because i'm just having fun over here and, and loving every minute of this um okay before we get away from resin printing earlier yeah. you mentioned about the um the importance of the light off delay Yes, yes. And it's, I, I had to actually quit. I was on the, um, the Mono X Facebook forum and I was so excited. Like, oh my God, I wonder, is this going to be like dildo, you know, the dildo groups where everybody's like helping everybody and everybody's so knowledgeable. And I got in there and it was just, it was a bunch of dudes who were so sure they knew exactly how to fix the problem. And it it killed me. I had to leave. Mm -hmm. Um, anyways, as a guy who knows how to fix the problem, um, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm one of them. I should and probably check myself too far into that. I'm sure we've got people asking you, what is the light off delay? And yes. that is what? Okay. So I'll use my little plates here. <laughs> so what's going to happen is you've got this, this vat of resin and you've got your build plate and your build plate is going to come down and almost meet that vat of resin. And then the light comes on 
through the glass and it cures that thin layer. You peel the layer off and then you come back down and this time you're a little bit further away and you cure the next layer and you keep doing that. So what light off delay is when you come down to this bottom, there's a certain amount of time that you kind of have to wait for the liquid to get out of the way because that liquid, liquids are incompressible. So right when you come down to the bottom, there's this is supposed to be at 50 microns. It's not. It's at 60 microns while the fluid gets out of the way. So it's going 60, 59, 58. And then These it relaxes mono, into it. Yes. And that was not a problem for the color screens. They didn't have the power to cause the problem. But these new mono machines, they put so much light through so fast that you're still at the 60, 59, 58. You're not at the 50 microns. You're at 54, 55 microns when the light comes on and it's so powerful, it cures it at the wrong height. And so you keep doing that. And that one or two microns over time, it builds up and you start to flex your build plate away. And then all of a sudden you get this big vertical crack because your motor skips a step. And so you see people say, oh, what do I, I've got this big vertical crack, what's wrong? And everybody's saying, oh, uh, rotate it 45 degrees. And it does nothing. It just makes the, the crack just moves 45 degrees. So what you do is you follow that first rule. Don't be in a rush, take your time. Give it a five second light off delay. These things start with a half a second. Nothing happens in a half a second. So you give it a three second, give it a four second, give it a five second light off delay. Give it pr- plenty of time. And, and you'll almost certainly have these same just beautiful prints that I get. And that's that's really just the trick is, is take your time. Yeah. Now, you mentioned the kind of toxic groups um, over there with the, the Facebook and everything. I have to ask, do you have any concerns about sharing all of this knowledge? Yes. I mean, you're teaching, you're teaching everybody how to do this. And you are you, are you kind of working yourself out of a job no absolutely not um that that is such a multifaceted question to answer so the first part right we'll, we'll kind of break it like am i working myself out of a job that's less important but the more important part is you know is it ethical to share all this knowledge is it good to share all this knowledge and i think that that's something that's very much it's not just open for debate in the wider world i mean it's open for debate in my home because me and Kristen sit on kind of different ends of that We both have the same end goal. We both want to see these new shops succeed. We want to see that people aren't just losing hundreds of dollars in material. They're not having to reprint and reprint and reprint. But is it, if I give you the knowledge that that I learned from trial and error, am I actually helping you or am I just kind of giving you a false sense of security so that when you do fail, it's even worse? Mm -hmm. Uh, the, The bigger one is what happens when you have one of those very rare but they do exist kind of bad seeds come in and say i'm going to read this wiki and i'm going to use it to figure out how to kind of weasel my way in here and i'm going to sell this terrible product and be a terrible person but you're not going to be able to tell because you know i shop dad wrote it down here how to behave correctly how to sneak in the back door yeah so i do i absolutely i worry about that i think it's very very important that as soon as possible i'm able to invite in other editors get other perspectives. I mean, I can pay for the hosting. I can put the backbone in place, but at the end of the day, it really, it can't be me. It needs to be everyone that does this. Otherwise Mm -hmm. it is, it's absolutely going to become just one person's opinion and it's going to do more harm than good. Yeah. um, Actually, there's a comment here from super awesome. C I've seen other makers express concern that making tutorials readily available will make it easier for unsafe shops to cut corners and disguise themselves as okay. 
Yes. Yes. So when you're going through, and this was kind of like a, a, a point of debate before we went live. Um, so when you're going through the wiki, what you'll see is that there's these, these little green hearts next to some of the sections. And if you read the, uh, the what's, I think it's it's either in the about or the what's next section. One of the things that, that we say is, you know, we're not sure. We're not entirely sure yet. So these are sections that for now they're out in the open. You can read them, you can use them, but just be aware that at some point in the future, these might need to go behind some kind of user wall Mm -hmm. so that we have some, and I hate that. I hate the idea of segregating off information of not just making it freely available, but that is a, I mean, that's a real thing. People really will. They'll say, Hey, you know what? Let me use this info, but I'm going to skip these steps. So, you know, I don't have an answer for that. I wish I did. I, I hope more people will jump in with me and will help me answer that. Yeah, I am very much on the side of, you know, share the basics and share process and um, get people moving in the right direction and then let them experiment and let them figure out where their weaknesses are and the areas that they need more development in and, and then come back to me or come back to the community and say, okay, I did this, but this is a problem I had. And absolutely. And then I'm like, okay, here's, here's what we can talk about here. And maybe it's, you know, try a different resin or, um, you know, don't use vinyl gloves when you're making your molds. Um, cause I had somebody, they were, there was somebody, they were having problems with, um, cure inhibition when they were making their molds, but it was only in specific spots. And it turns out that they were using, uh, vinyl gloves that had some kind of a powder on them. And it was that interesting that was caused because, you know, normally vinyl gloves, I mean, that's like the Holy grail, right? It's latex gloves, absolute no go. Mm-hmm. Nitro gloves are fine until once you get the silicone, you've had some silicone sitting on a nitro glove, and these are nitro. Once you've had the silicone sitting for a while, then if you touch something, you'll cause inhibition. Vinyl's supposed to, it's supposed to be the the inhibition-proof glove, so that's very interesting. Yeah, and I think it was actually like the powder that they use on the inside of the glove or something like that. Um, I'm huh. not sure. Yeah, but that's kind of what we traced it back to. Um. <laughs> Now, I also know that not only have you developed this wiki, but you have been giving away files for at least the last year that I know of. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, and that's, yeah, that's, that's one of the fun parts of the job um, is getting to like give away cool stuff and see people take it further. I mean, I'm not an artist, right? I've, I've, I'm on my third engineering degree. I'm not an artist. I wish I was. I like. I watch Venus and Frost and Al Sculpts, and I'm just like, oh my. Oh, and Nyx. Um, I, I. Oh, there's more. I can't tell you how many wonderful artists there. That I'm just like, oh my god. I wish I could do that. Um, but no, I'm an engineer. So what I can give is, you know, this is a better mold. This is how you figure out what pinhole size to use. Uh, this is how you tune your machine. That's what I can share. Gotcha. Uh, I'm going to grab a couple of questions real quick and then um, come back to some of mine. Uh, somebody was asking, how many cans of paint are there in your workshop? Um, yes, Osha. Uh, there are an a- appropriate number. Um, actually, we're pretty good. I Something that you don't think about 
that you guys should all probably do is go, if you have a can of paint, go online, download the uh, SDS. They used to be called MSDS, Material yep. Data Safety Sheet. Now it's just Safety Data Sheet. That's the new terminology. Go download your safety data sheets, print them out, put them in a binder. You'll probably never have to use them, but that's actually a requirement. Mm-hmm. You actually have to have those. Um, so right now, if you, if you don't count my, I'm a crazy person who does a lot of crafts paint, because that probably is like some kind of terrible, um, I, I should feel bad about it, number of paint cans. But right now I have four to six cans of like black, maybe the same of, um, of my filler primer. And then probably about a dozen, uh, uh, the equivalent of a dozen cans worth of the 2K paint. But I really don't keep that much paint anymore. Okay. Um, now, what I have done, just to follow up on your comment about SDS, um, I have set up a wiki that's just internal for my company. And I actually upload all of the SDS documents to that. Um, and that way, if something happens and there's a fire and the fire department wants to know what's in there, I can pull up my website and pull up my wiki and tell them, this is everything that's in there. We've got 99% alcohol. We've got these different resins from Smooth On. We've got the silicone. We've got um, you know these cans of, of paint. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, I think I got everything in there at this point. Um, but I did that for just that weird occasion because I have a laser in my studio as well. And we burn things. And so yes. fire is kind of a, a, a risk. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, well, if I print everything, then it goes up in flames. But if it's on my my wiki, then, well, I can pull it up. Uh, I, I hope you will let me steal that idea because one of the absolutely um, one of the sections that I, I badly because we're talking about like well, what's good, what's good information to share. One of the sections I badly would love to work on is the shop safety we talk about toy safety all the time and like what makes a safe toy. And the reality is it's actually very easy to make a safe toy. Mm-hmm. Very easy. Um, you can start cutting corners and accidentally make a dangerous toy. But in general, I mean, even the newest of the new makers, I should say in general, the truth is that the newest makers, as long as they're, they're following some basic guidelines, they're making a safe toy, but their work environment is almost certainly not safe. And and something I would love to see more of is sharing shop safety. I mean, mm. you can get, um, oh, I forget the name of it now, but it's uh, that the mica is a, it's that platelet shape that likes to, uh, leg, uh, ah, sorry, my uh, throat's a little dry here. Yeah, uh, it's that, that platelet shape that likes to get kind of lodged in your lungs. It's not good for you. Uh, and we don't think about that. Yeah, I can't remember who it was. I saw it fly by in the chat, but somebody was talking about unicorn lung from all of yes. the, <laughs> from all yes. the mica that's floating in the air. Unicorn lung. Oh, it is the cutest thing that will ever put you in the hospital. Yeah. Oh, man. Lunar Kaleidoscope asks, I'd love to know what some of your favorite model or models to work on have been so far. Oh, oh, that's so hard. I can't. I can't share because several of my favorite models are from shops who have been patiently waiting for me to finish this wiki. So I've got a couple right now that are are amazing, just amazing. And so keep an eye out. 
Um, when they go live, I'll post them and we can all geek out over them. I do have my own favorite model actually here with me hmm. uh, in Let's my box. And we can pull a fresh one because it's it's also how I was going to explain different molds. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is the micro version of the traveling tabaxi. And this is, I hope to get to do this one day. The whole idea behind the tabaxi was to make a mold that we could share with our friends. And so you could see like, what does my mold tech look like? And maybe you could make a suggestion and we could iterate it together and then send another one around. And, uh, you know, I hope that happens one day. I really do. But anyways, this is, this is kind of where everybody starts. This is where I started. This is a block mold. This thing's like, even though it's small, it's like 400 grams of just solid silicone. And this is a hybrid mold. It's it's a mixture between a glove mold and a cavity mold and a block mold. In theory, it's it's a great idea. In practice, this is a terrible mold for a small shop. <laughs> this did, that mold, come, did that come out of that yeah. green mold that's here right there? It did. It did. And there's uh, there's all kinds of cool little tech tricks in this mold. Um, I think we'll probably run out of time before we even get to it. But I. This is a mold shell that when you clamp it together with two binder clips doesn't leak. Okay. And if you've ever made toys, you know that that is like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Molds leak everywhere. When I, when I first started playing with this, I was like, this mold doesn't leak. It blew my mind. But anyways, okay, let's, let's see. Kristen actually made this for us. I was like, I, I please, please Goblin King. I need something to show off. And so I have no idea what she poured for us. Yeah. But I'm excited. Oh, I everybody, already love the pink. Everybody always wants to see a demolding. Well, my tongue is stuck in the tip a little bit. Uh-huh. And I'm afraid. Normally, I just I just yank on it, but I'm like, I'm going to... Oh, there it goes. I'm going to do that and knock everything over. Oh, that is so cute. <laughs> Look at that cutie. It's little, little tabaxi. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Traveling to Baxi. <laughs> so that's in uh, that's in 20. You saw that whole thing just stretched yeah. out. That's actually I think people don't realize just how high performance the silicones that we use are just insane. They're insane. I think was it Dragon Skin 10? The standard 10 is like a 1000% elongation to break. I think this is like 800. Mm-hmm. It's like this like super soft, silly silicone, and it's got like a 800% stretch to break. Yeah, but um, the thing is that people rush it, and they, you know, like you said, take your time, yeah. get it done right. Because, you know, if if it's not fully cured, you're not going to get those properties out of it. You know, it's it's going to tear. Oh, and, and I mean, I'm sure we've got some people that know about Near Clear 45, which is its mm-hmm. own special special child i love it it's so beautiful and it just makes um i can actually show you the difference hang on let me go back into my my dumb box of stuff over here sure and i'll just remind everybody i'm working through some questions uh that george has accumulated um so uh, she has watching the chat for me and we'll be able to uh, get as many questions in as we possibly can Oh, and somebody wants you to oh, boop I, the I, snoot. Boop the snoot? Oh, the snoot booping? The snoot booping? 
I mean, we can be all serious uh, and, and talk about like light off delay and proper geometric bleh, geometric tolerancing, um, but we're we're all really here for Snoop boobs. I mean, I'm here. This is yeah. why I do this. Yeah. So you can yeah. give them a little Snoop boob. <laughs> but check this out. So this is this is um, this is 30A. You can barely see it in this light. This 30A, uh, and this is actually the same mixture except for the near clear 45 as this it's just mind-boggling that these are are almost the exact same thing and they look so crazy different and that's just that's just a little bit of technique huh. uh, this is a this is a double skin with a backfill and this is just mixing everything together but you can see that that near clear 45 it's beautiful it's so gorgeous okay Tell me again, what's the difference here? Because the near clear 45 is a 0045, right? Yep. And then you're and using so, an uh, A30, is that right? So uh, this is this is yeah, this is just EcoFlex. Okay. But this is this is black mixed with um, black diamond, the blue, sorry, it's the teal to green color shifter. And I only own teal to green color shifter to um, to just absolutely call out one specific person. There's like one person that 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 speaks to, and I I'm, I'm sure if they ever see this, they're gonna be like, seriously, you, you're you're targeted adding me. Um, I am. So I have this beautiful teal to green color shifter, and this is just that's the two colors mixed, the black with the color shifter, and that's what you get. Okay. That is a double skin, backfilled with black, and you can see it's still it's still black okay. on the bottom. Yeah. Okay, so when you say um, double skinned, that means you filled the mold and kind of created a skin coat? Yes. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. So you have to be careful with skins. Um, I mean, and there's there's some technique I'm not going to, I'm not going to just give away because it's my secret. It's my yeah. secret. Yeah. But the basics that I will tell you um, that I think anybody can figure it on their own is that if you want to get a really good skin, you need a high pigment load. And the problem with a high pigment load is that you get rub out. And so one of the one of the wonderful things that near clear will do for you is that you can do a a clear first skin and you can protect the pigment and then you can go ahead and use that high pigment load. You still need to perform a stretch test, do a rub test, do the things you would normally do to make sure you don't have delamination because you're changing, you're shifting the issue from rub out to delam. So you still need to perform those basic tests, but it's just gorgeous. I can't I can't get over how beautiful it comes out. Yeah. Um, yeah, we. I have done some experiments with uh, skin coats and the, the wobbly. I, I, this, this is. You, you got to get one of these. Whenever they start making, you got to get one of these and like hold hands with it. Oh. It's just the weirdest sensation. Have these little metal metacarpals. I think these are metacarpals. Uh huh. Just gently hold your hand. Um. There was a question. What is rub out? Okay, so rub out. Um, I like to say that rub out happens in everything. I think it's best to assume it happens in everything. Does it really? I'm not sure. You know, most of the stuff that I see that that I buy personally, I can't detect rub out. Uh, but what it is is that silicone really only likes to bind to silicone. So when you add any kind of pigment to it, it's not chemically binding. It's not actually gluing. It's all it's doing is encapsulating, right? That's all it does. 
And even though these are very high performance silicones, these are also, these silicones are very much min-maxed. If you play enough video games, you'll know what that means. Yeah. So these are min-maxed. Silicone, as we think of it in most industries, is 30A and up. It's very tough, rugged stuff. This is has been min-maxed to be super soft while maintaining as much durability as possible. But when you start getting big flakes of pigment in here, and you know, I say big flakes, we're talking more than 75 microns. You start to get this possibility that when you rub the surface, there's just this very thin encapsulating layer and you'll actually shred that layer and now the mica can get loose or the glow powder can get loose. And that's one of the reasons why you'll see makers using uh, cosmetic grade uh, pigments. Mm-hmm. You know, because, oh, hey, it's it's encapsulated, so it's safe, right? Well, yeah, but you should assume that there will be some rub out. Just go ahead and assume that. Yeah. Give people that extra margin of safety. And everybody does. It's actually really amazing. We're, we're crazy, overly safe in this industry. I, I haven't looked at the wiki, so I don't know if you mentioned this in there or not. But have you, <laughs> is there any, um, have you talked about, uh, my brain's frying here for a second particle size and the appropriate particle sizes in pigments to use no so the pigment section is woefully inadequate okay i've created a framework i've addressed a handful of things um but it is it is woefully inadequate i i think that that's something where we really need um we really need the other dong makers of the world to to jump in and and yeah. get some stuff in there but that hey you're it needs to be addressed okay cabbageat asks how long do you have to wait between the skin coat and the rest of the pour like in general in general uh it depends on the material yeah depends on the material so i think that that is a, a question somebody should bring back up when you get the uh the goblin king in here because she's the one that is just excellent at this mm-hmm. i i've experienced anywhere from 10 minutes to up to an hour, mm-hmm. but it depends on the material. I mean, 30 is very slow compared to 0020. Yeah. I think um, basically my experience, take it for what it is, uh, you kind of at least have to burn out the, the pot life. And mm-hmm. once the pot life is, has been uh, burned out, then you can add that second second silicone behind the skin coat um but the problem is uh, that you have to watch out for and i'm gonna go off on a tangent here is that if that skin coat is not cured enough it will get moved by the silicone that you're pouring in and yeah and so you you lose that skin coat uh tibbs asks what other crafts do you do (laughs) <laughs> yep. Um, oh man. So I don't know anymore. I, I, I am only silicone. Silicone is me. It has swallowed me. Um, I used to, when I was younger, I used to sail all the time. It's still kind of in my blood. Every time a storm blows up, I get this adrenaline rush because I spent so many afternoons on a boat in the ocean and like when that storm blows up you're like oh it's time to go here comes the wind here comes the rain uh that's that'll always be a love of mine um 
I used to draw and paint a little bit until I realized that other people were better than me. And being a, <laughs> a dumb, hyper-competitive person, I, I dropped it. And I, I regret that now. Um, but okay. I, I make anything and everything. If it can be laser engraved, CNC designed, that's that's really that's really where my heart's at. Um, you said in the beginning that you started off with uh, CNC um, aluminum. And, oh yeah. Um, so do you still have your CNC uh, your metalworking equipment? I do, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's expanded a little bit as I've had. I've had terrible ideas and then realized I did not have spare time. So I actually have a furnace so I can cast bronze okay. and I have this pile of bronze. Cause it's like, Oh, you know, it'd be so cool. What if I did bronze? So that never happened. I mean, I, I think I managed to melt like down an ingot once. And then I got about halfway through kind of doing the sand cast mold. And then it, it, it I was reminded that I actually have, like a day job plus a night job plus another night job plus a partner and then family and in theory friends right um i don't know how many people know this but my background is actually in uh, my first kind of experience with creative making was in jewelry so um you know having a a furnace that you can burn out molds and because we used to do lost wax castings and the um We'd have to burn them out and everything. And anyway, I loved it. I had a lot of fun. I'm kind of getting to the point where I might actually be able to do metal casting again, maybe in the next six months or so, but I'm not quite there yet. Uh, Ishtar0137 uh, asks, Counterfeit- counterfeiting has seemed to be on the rise again. With so much information out there, what is the balance between sharing and proprietary information? That is a very good question. So the when we talk about like IP theft and counterfeiting, most of what's going on is not using the kind of technology that we use. So these these molds like this, I've obviously never been in one of these mass production facilities. Uh, I would love to be a fly on the wall in one and see kind of what they're doing. But the way that we do it is, I believe, not sufficiently similar to the way that they do it for a lot of this to be applicable. They probably are using large block molds. They're probably doing mass bulk bulk pours. They're, they're not mixing up 500 grams at a time. They're mixing up five gallons. Yeah. So, you know, I I personally fall on the end of saying, you know, if, if I teach you how to be better, as far as I can, um, once again, this is very much not a monolithic thing. There's a lot of people with a lot more knowledge than I have. But if we share that knowledge, we actually have a chance of outcompeting them, even if even if they're reading the same book as us, because they just simply you can't compete with was it 350 innovators right now? I mean, we all we're all innovators, right? We're all these small businesses that are like working our butts off to make the next most beautiful, interesting thing. I mean, yeah, you can try. But if all of us kind of have the same playbook, if we all get that same fair start, I don't know that they can really keep up with us in the long run. But that's that's a hot topic of debate right now. I don't know that that's something everybody agrees with me on, and they shouldn't. We need right. we need disagreement to stay healthy. Um, I'm curious. I, I a couple of days ago I saw a post on Twitter. There was a, a shop that is uh, shutting down at the end of the month, and 
you mentioned, you know, there's 315 makers now. Um, are have you think we've reached the point of saturation, and that some of those no. folks are starting to to shake out a little bit? No, no. Okay, so. And this is an important thing to think about and a big part of why I am so strongly, personally strongly for saying, you know, at least this base information, at least let me get you to the point where you can make this mold. Let me give you this information on day one. And it's actually why this mold exists as as compared to this mold. Can we become saturated in the indie market? Yes, absolutely. Look, there's, there's a couple thousand customers and they have been awesome, amazing people that just keep so many of us afloat and i love that but at the end of the day can, you know yeah you can you can swallow that mark that market in one bite it's comparatively it's a tiny market but the global sex toy market is it's estimated to grow to 63 billion 63 billion dollars mm-hmm. as long as everybody is playing for the same 2000 customers yes that's a problem eventually we are going to start having to fight each other but if we work together to make that jump, and this is this is the thing, right? None of us can do this alone. No matter how smart I am at, at, at making a mold, no matter how good Kristen is at doing a pour, we will never be able to individually compete with these mass production companies. But if we work together and maybe maybe I share my hybrid mold and maybe you tell me how to get into wholesale and maybe somebody else helps helps us do taxes then we're not competing with each other for 2000 customers we're competing with you know doc dingle for 63 billion dollars yeah 63 billion dollars but we have to work together to do that yeah um i'm with you on that one um i i'm trying to think um ah, i lost my thought um George, there's a note here about Austin Cleon. Um, come back to me about what that is talking about. Because um, I love Austin Cleon. He did a couple of books. Uh, one of them was called Show Your Work. Uh, or no, it, his first one was called Steal Like an Artist. Um, and it's, you know, all about how nothing is actually original. Everything is a... Uh, remix? A, a remix or everything is a derivative of somebody else's work or whatever. Um, and then he had another book called Show Your Work, um, which is very much in the line of what uh, Gary Vaynerchuk talks about. That's a total, it's a total fork in the road there. But uh, we'll come back to what we were actually supposed to be talking about. Tame, uh, hi shop dad. What would you say would qualify someone to be an editor for the wiki? Are you looking for reputable makers, collectors, both? What makes somebody qualified to be an ed- editor? Oh, being a little bit out of your mind. Um, I, I know I know nothing about keeping a wiki up and running myself. Um, and once again, this is I've, I've had wonderful friends that that helped me get this thing up and running. Um, I've got a partner who sat here while I, I stayed up late at night, just typing stream of consciousness insanity onto the page and then went behind me and made it readable. Um, what makes somebody qualified to be an editor? So I think there's probably there's probably two different things that really could help. Uh, you know, one is just who's willing to be accountable. You know, one of the ideas that I loved was somebody, um, 
uh, I think it was Big Yikes on on Twitter was like, can we get a line art repository? I'm like, absolutely. But the thing about a line art repository is that somebody has to contact the artist and somebody has to contact the shop and make sure that everybody is okay with that being shared. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a lot of work, but that's that's something that we have to have somebody to be responsible for. Yeah. You can't just send me uh, art and say, hey, can you please put this on your wiki? Because then what happens if, if you know, that really upsets somebody or, or somebody feels like we stole their art? We, we can't do that. So we really need even maybe lesser experienced people who are like, you know what, what I want to do is be responsible for a page. That would be very helpful. But the other level is getting those people that have uh, six, seven, eight years of experience or, I mean, there's some people with two or three years of experience that are very knowledgeable, but getting those people who have that specific industry knowledge that believe in, that believe in this goal Mm -hmm. of, of let's, let's, let's help to catapult the small shops to the point where we're not competing with each other over 2000 customers. We're competing with Doc Dingle over that 63 billion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, an important thing about, about that in my mind is I might be wrong. I could be very, very wrong that this is not the right thing to do. And it's, it's probably one of the most democratic processes out there that, you know what, if nobody wants to help edit, help add, that's a very strong democratic. No, we don't want to do this. And if 200 people sign up tomorrow and say, please let us turn this into some massive thing. Well, now we know, you know, the vote went the other way. So we'll see what happens. I'm, I, I had to do it for, I had to do it for myself. I had to get it out there and and my heart feels great having done it. What happens to it now? If it were to not have a single person sign on, I'd be okay with that. That'd be fine. Hmm. Interesting. Um, Yeah. Uh, oh, I get some of these questions in here. Super awesome. C says, I know you've said on Twitter in the past that you want indie sex toys to become more prevalent and occupy a greater share of the market. What do you think the path yes. to that is? What does that path look like? I'm just an engineer. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I need you guys. I really do. I really greatly do. We all need everybody. Uh, working on that. So I think if you scroll around on my Twitter or if you go to the wiki and you go to like the, should I start a shop? There's like this graphic that I got made up and I've, I can't remember the name of the artist off the top of my head, which is very unfortunate because they're, they're a really cool person and a good artist. Um, but there's this, the, the top picture is like a customer in like a, a brick and mortar spec shop and it's all gray and black and boring. And then at the bottom it's, it's like five years in the future and one of the shelves has been replaced with all of this this colorful, beautiful stuff that we do. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the kind of thing I want to see happen. Um, I have no idea how we get there. I, I can I can try to help the way that I can help, and that's what I do. And I hope that some of these other areas, like you know, the one I mentioned, was how do you do wholesale? I have no idea. I'm not a marketing person. See, I'm, maybe somebody else does. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I I have a my brain goes straight to dollars and um, I can go very deep into that little hole um, but uh, you know I have my arguments and I tell people you know if you're going to do this and we talk about pricing and I'm like these are the things you need to be considering um, not just whether or not you want to do wholesale but 
you kind of have to consider that you are the retailer. And so I'm talking about an indie shop that is kind of on their own doing uh, their own thing. But you're not only the retailer, but you're the manufacturer and the designer. And so you need to be pricing for each of those different levels. And yes. And some people skip part of that calculation. So, uh, I mean, let's, let's talk a little bit, um, uh, you know, not too much on that because I think, uh, this is a while back. I was, I had briefly considered, uh, trying to make a pricing guide to help out new shops. And in retrospect, I got very, very lucky because it was actually, um, it was Misha at Strange Bedfellows who was like, are you sure? Are you sure you want to do that? Because pricing is a very, very personal thing. And I'm actually really glad, I'm really glad that was the right decision to say, hey, you know, I'm not going to do that. Um, But things I will talk about with pricing is that consistently artists underprice themselves. They do something called cost plus pricing. So you take the cost of the material and you tack on some plus and this is the worst type of pricing it is bad for you it is bad for the customer it is bad for the industry at the very least go ahead go ahead go ahead okay so and I'll, i'll i'll do a high speed overview um at the very least don't do cost plus at the very least charge what your uh it's called um marginal utility. It's been a long time since I was in economics because I'm not an economics person, but it's called marginal utility. You have to consider what you could have been doing with the time. If, if I could have been doing something that made $100 an hour instead of this, I should be pricing this by what I could have been doing, not not by cost plus, by what my next most marketable skill is. Yeah. You As an artist, you deserve that. You put your heart into this. You deserve that. Um, it's absolutely fine. There are people who will go to this number and then they'll mark it down because they want to make their products accessible. And I, I think Kristen's kind of one of those people that does that. Um, and there's quite a few shops that try to make their products accessible, but always in your head, remember that the value of this is not the material plus $5. The value of this at a minimum is your most marketable skill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you for, want to mark it down from there, that's fine. Good on you. That's that's a wonderful thing to do. Yeah, you know, it's a little bit easier for me because one of my lines of business, um, I bill at seventy five dollars an hour, and so it's very easy for me to say, okay, if I'm going to make a dong, I've got to make at least seventy five dollars per hour an hour um, at wholesale because that's actually my wholesale rate. Um, and you know, you mentioned cost plus and. In my head, that's the the fallback in the sense that yeah. you price to the market and then figure out, can I do it and be, still be profitable? Because you have to know what your expenses are. And the thing is that what most people don't think about is overhead and employees, taxes, all those other things. Because um, I, full disclosure, I'm working on a book myself. It's... Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I talk about in that is the business side of it, which is figuring out what your, you know, your hourly overhead is. Because if you're going to work for an hour, you've got to know what does it cost me just to keep the lights on? Absolutely. And, and then your labor and everything else that goes on top of that. 
Um, and then for me, it's uh, always come back to, if I price it this way, can I make a profit? And so that's where the, the, the costs come in. You've got you've to understand your costs. And it's, it's not just about you and, and the money that you can make. I mean, I think that a lot of people, you know, it's so easy to lose sight of what you can do with your business, the good you can do with your business. I mean, there are so many shops hiring, you know, weird kids out there who, who just need a place to exist and be safe. And we can provide those jobs. We can give them, uh, you know, we can give them time off. We can give them health plans. But you can only do that if you're charging a fair value. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with with stealing a dollar out of the hands of Doc Dingle to give it to your crazy employee who, who just needs a little boost up. Help send them to college, you know, do something good with it. You're redirecting that money from, I mean, and look, there's no ethical consumption within capitalism. There really is no such thing as ethical consumption, but maybe we can help to make that consumption a little better. It's not a solution, but at least I sleep at night. Mm-hmm. Um... And somebody's asking, what are you holding? That's that award that we were talking about earlier, right? Yeah, this was, yeah, this was um, Allison over at Something Squishy, where I, I kind of sent out the the Gondor calls for aid flag. Like, hey, man, I, I wish we had, I wish us makers had an award we could just print out and give to each other to be like, thanks, dude. That was really cool of you. That was very cash money of you. So uh, she actually made this up for us. So um, at some point... I've, I've been so busy with the wiki, but at some point I'm going to do something really stupid. Like, I don't know. Best watermelon pour gets a really dumb award. I mean, cool award, but like for a dumb reason, you know, um, we'll do something. You know, I'll yeah. probably I, I need to ask Allison, but I think she'd probably be cool with me even just putting the, the STL files out there so that anybody can just give anybody an award for any reason. Uh, you know, it's Tuesday. Here you go. Yeah. Thanks. We should do more of that, right? Like we're all like dying. We're all over here, like trying to like tread water, just make it one more day in the silicone mines. Maybe mm-hmm. if somebody was just like, "You didn't drown today," here, that would make it a, you know, yeah. at least we've got like a great, we've got great customers and we've got great friends. At least that kind of helps, you know. That the yes, the printer is literally on fire, and we had to give your your web address to the fire department so that they wouldn't experienced toxic fumes but at least we have you know these customers who just come back time and time again and help support us and you know our friends on discord and yeah. lots of wonderful people uh tibbs i see your comment um and i think i understand it correctly have you considered a message and this is, i think he's talking to me here um have you considered a message board or discord server or something for conversation to continue after the screen uh, after the stream because i feel like you spark some amazing discussions and questions in folks. Um, number one, thank you. I'm glad. Um, I'm I'm super pleased that people are enjoying the the live streams. Um, I haven't that far. I haven't thought that far ahead. Um, it's kind of like uh, building the ship as we go, um, and hope we don't sink along the way. So uh, get in touch with me and let me know what you you think about that, uh, Tibbs, and uh, we can figure out something from there. Monstrous says, I think bringing into mi- uh, mainstream has a lot to do with the cultural views on sex and sexuality as well. The indie community yes. loves silicone, but also seems to be very accepting and open-minded as well. Um, and I think something here about the, 
the different communities because we talk about the indie community but also we talk about doc dingle and uh you know the the more mainstream community and yes the the indie community is extremely supportive but then how do we get the mainstream folks over to our part of the world and figure out just how nice everybody is we have cookies we have a lot of cookies yeah we do i don't know i don't know um there's been some pretty cool pretty cool changes just in in my i'm not that old i'm not i I know i go i shop dad i'm not i'm not 163 years old Mm -hmm. Uh, i have a beard but it is not two feet long and gray and i don't use it to cast magic Um, but just in my lifetime i remember my my first toy was it involved going to a a brick and mortar and it was very sketchy and most of what they sold was uh you know porn on 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 vhs and dvd (laughs) and uh you know, I got a clear jelly toy and I think it got thrown in a, it got thrown in like a, a side area for a couple of months. And then the next time it came out, it actually caused chemical burns. It was terrible. It was uh-huh. like, it was like the, uh, you know what? I'm not going to describe it. It was not good. It was, it was not good. Uh, and that's changed so much. Yeah. I mean, you go to these shops now and, and they're beautiful. They're well lit. Some of them, not all of them, but yeah. And we've <laughs> seen that, um, the market uh, is changing. You know, um, last year they came out with the, um, oh God, I'm spacing on it. The, the standards document. Um, what is that? I have a bone I, to pick with that document. The it's ISO so standard. Bad. Yeah. Um, but, and, and I, I'm with you on that and I think we need to come back to it in a second. But what I have seen is that we are seeing safer toys in the mainstream categories we're seeing things that don't have phthalates in them and we're seeing things that have actual silicone in them and so i think we're kind of moving the needle a little bit but let's talk about that iso standard so i I think the the person you need for the iso standard is going to be fergus at monster smash because he's actually really read it in depth i've given it a quick look over and i do deal with isos in my day job and it's pretty normal for an ISO to not be prescriptive, for it to be descriptive. So it doesn't normally tell you, uh, you know, mix it three times counterclockwise, wait 15 minutes, uh, say the magic words, and then pour it into the cup. It's, doesn't, it's not normally prescriptive. It's normally descriptive. It says mix adequately. Yeah. Uh, allow pre-gel for an adequate amount of time. Follow manufacturers. But the the ISO that they put out there is, I think, like a page and a half, including like the intro and the outro. And there's nothing useful in it for us. In fact, the only thing that was really particularly descriptive was the size categories. And it was crazy. Their suggested small, medium and large, which just is nowhere near uh, what we use. Yeah, I'm going to make a note um, to bring Fergus on because uh, I bought the ISO standard because that's just who I am. Um, and, you know, the size categories are are interesting because they're often taken out of context. Um, and they're very specifically... Uh, what's the word I want to use here? They're very specifically categorized for anal toys and yeah like that was such a weird way to go like we're going to make an iso we're finally going to make an iso standard and we're all going to agree that it's really just for butt stuff 
<laughs> I would like how who's on that who was on that committee? I want to be friends with them. Yeah. All right, I've got a couple of questions left and then we're going to wrap it up. We did start a little bit late, so I don't mind going just a little bit late here. Reborn Phoenix asks, "When are you, quote unquote, air bunnies, good enough to start selling both in indie toys and a hobby turning side income?" Um Yeah, that's so that's two different that's that's two different levels because of the the, the idea of that profit turning. So as soon as you are as soon as you've cast a couple of toys and you have you've tested them you know if, if there's the chance of delamination you've done that stretch test you've done that that rub test uh, as, as soon as you have kind of done your functional testing and you have locked down your process you're ready to go the problem is not that it's hard to make a safe toy the problem is that you get excited about it and you start changing your process but now you're already neck deep in orders. And so you start skipping that functional testing. The functional testing is so important. If you get a, if you start using mica and you've never used mica before, you need to, to test for rub out and don't do it once, you know, do it when the shop is hot and your silicone is curing fast, test it then. If it's cold, you know, bring it inside, do it in the AC so that you have that longer cure time. You have more of the settling of the mica and do it again. And so the problem is that you get that first, you get very excited. You get that first thing out. Oh, look, it's so cute. Look, it's a little snoot. We can boop it. And then you say, you know, make this great is if we put glow powder in it. Mm. Just, just like a half a cup of glow worm. <laughs> and this is, I, I think that I might accidentally trigger some people saying glow worm because it is, I, I love it. It's so strong, but that's one of those ones that like you say, you know, what? I'm just going to put a bunch of glow worm in here. And that's where you end up with that that toy that just gets you the bad reputation because you didn't yeah. repeat the functional testing. You didn't prove out the way you're doing it. I think um, documentation is important. Um, oh, absolutely. You know, I have all of my recipes are documented and, um, you know, I have spreadsheets that I tell it which model I'm making and what firmness. And it tells me, grab this, this and this. And, you know, I just follow the instructions and that's kind of nice because then I can just hand it off to my minions as well. But, um, I think documenting is incredibly important. Um, and I think that when are you good enough to start selling? Uh, that's a really tough one because, you know, there are things that I would accept for myself that I would not put out in the world. And yes, it's very difficult to develop that standard for yourself. And uh, we've seen shops, new shops come along and they've made mistakes and the community comes back and hammers them fairly yes. hard about it. But um, the good ones adjust and learn. And I think that's one of the things that is gonna make somebody good enough is when they can learn and they can adjust um, so that's just my opinion. I, you know, something that, that, and this is not just part of our community, but I think it's everywhere. If you have the spoons, if you're a person like me, where you're very lucky and you have a lot of extra spoons and you can handle, you know, some confrontation, um, I strongly encourage practicing call in, you know, there's, there are absolutely times where we need to call people out 
like society as a whole, it occasionally needs somebody to just kind of get lit on fire to say, look, don't do this. But if you have the spoons to do it, if you have that extra energy that you are willing to invest in a call in, do it. I mean, it's it's been it's been incredibly rewarding for me to to have the chance. And I know there's there's quite a few other makers that do this, um, particularly when you get in the uh, the silicone makers discord, which is like it's both this like wonderful place and this terrible place simultaneously. And you've got people like Tibbs and Babs who are in there just constantly trying to call people in there instead of saying, you're so dangerous and you just you need to you need to go away forever. You know, we start out by saying, hey, man, um, are you open for some feedback? Let me help you. Let me take let me take an hour of my day. Let me get on a Zoom call with you and let's take a look at how you do that. You know, I'm not I'm not necessarily going to be able to fix what's wrong, but I can try. And what I found is that like 99 percent of the time people respond very positively to that. And it's one of those things, not only do you get them to change what they're doing, but a lot of times you change like their whole perspective of the community. You go from having this person that like doesn't understand that this is a collaborative space to suddenly saying, oh my God, these people are trying to help me. I should try to help them. And then it kind of pays for itself in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, There's been a couple of bad seeds, but it's so rare. It's so rare. Um, Yeah. There was one within the last couple of weeks that I saw on the discord that um needed to be needed to be called to the mat so to speak um there's a question from lascivia seven designs and i think i'm probably going to hold this one until we talk to Kristen. but um you might be able to add something here oh is that sorry i I, i've talked to so many people is lascivia seven the wonderful almost spaceship beautiful designs oh i'm i'm not sure I, I, would have I, know, to look I've ta- I know I've talked with them and I, I, I've got this is probably my brain is I can remember I've talked to this person and I have fond memories of talking to them, but I can't remember if they're the ones that do the really cool, almost like like the future from the 80s and 70s type designs. But anyway, sorry, gotcha. I'm distracting. <laughs> it's OK. Uh, the question was about how to keep Micah from clumping and how to declump before scooping into a cup. I uh, do I put it on a mirror and slice with a razor? reaching back into the eighties again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a number of tricks that, that you can do around there and they all have different drawbacks. Um, you know, one thing that you can do is uh, like with your part B before you get going, if you're, if you're a chef and you've ever made a roux before where you start out with that, Mm -hmm. your, your dry ingredient and you add just a little bit of liquid and you kind of you mix it until you get almost like a clay you can do the same thing with mica powder so go ahead get all of your ingredients ready and then use your stick and scoop out just a little bit of your it it depends we actually start with part b some people start with part a it depends on what additives you use most often as to which part you will start with Mm -hmm. Uh, but take a little bit of your starting ingredient mix it on your your mirror with your razor blade and, and scoop it around until you get that that jelly and then add a little bit more in and take it from a jelly to a paste or from a jelly to a wet paste and then from that wet paste to a liquid and then put that back in. And that's going to do two things for you. One, it's going to really make it a lot easier to mix. And then also, even if you do get a little broken up clump, that clump now is just fully coated in your silicone. And those, as your silicone starts to crosslink, at least to some extent, you're going to get crosslinking continuing in. And yes, you might have an unsightly clump 
but that clump will be bound in now instead of being like a little air pocket. So when somebody goes and they scrapes it, it's not going to break out and, and release mica into the air and give them a unicorn lung. Uh, so you go from like a turbo flop to just a regular flop. Yeah, I actually did a video on this. So um, Lasavia 7, if you want to look at uh, my videos on YouTube, I have a video about dealing with clumping pigments. Um, and I, I have a tendency, my preference, and we all have our own preferences here because you mentioned part A or part B. I actually prefer to use uh, silicone thinner uh, mm -hmm. because that way I don't have to remember, is it part A or is it part B? And that's the, that's a good attempt too. Uh, I so the thing with the thing that I don't like about silicone thinner, because that is a wonderful way to approach it. But I'm sure you've seen this: is that silicone thinner is so thin that it will settle. So it mm -hmm. is. It's a great it's a great approach. Um, yeah. I think it's probably on par with using part A or part B. Just be aware it, it can settle because it is so mm -hmm. thin. Yeah, it does settle. Um, and so you know, I have them in little squirt bottles. So my oh nice my blue pigments for whatever reason it's my blue pigments have a tendency to clump up and so i'll do up a batch of um a blue pigment in silicone thinner and i'll run it with a, a hand mixer and just whip the hell out of it and then goes into the bottle and then i just keep it in a shaker bottle and just give it a shake and hmm. i use them fast enough that even if it does settle it's not actually creating a a chunk at the bottom yeah. Uh, Follow-up question. When does part A or part B matter when you pre-mix your mica? Um, I don't think that it does. If you, uh, Yeah, no. I mean, it's really just which part do you start with? Do you normally add your pigments to part A or part B? And I, I think ours is it's very historic as to why we use part B. I, I want to think that it used to be recommended that you add the slow Joe to part B. And I don't, I don't know if it is still, it might, they might've changed it. So now everything is part A, but I believe, you know, back in the dark ages of, of, uh, Dongmancy, you had to add it to part B or you're supposed to add it to part B and we're in Florida. So you're, you're using slow Joe, even with the AC <laughs> running full blast, you're using slow Joe. Yeah, it's been 105 around here. I think we're supposed to hit 111 this week. Um, so, yeah, uh, Slowjo and uh, Retarders, they're all kind of, they, they have their place. Uh, last question is from August. Shopdad mentioned on Twitter that his printing services help reduce waste. What kind of waste does the printing process create and what ways can that be reduced? It depends on what printing process you're using. So if you start out with a uh, with an FDM printer, the one that uses the, the spool of wire and you're printing with PLA, you know, that PLA, it is biodegradable. It's not biodegradable like you're going to throw it in your garden and it's going to be gone in, in a year. But, you know, when they when they dig up our our uh, our remains here in 4,000 years and they're wondering what the heck we were thinking by then they will not be able to put you in a museum and prove that you were making dildos if you're using PLA. The bigger issue is really resin printing. Um, resin printing has a, a couple of waste products. Um, one is the alcohol, of course. I'm actually not that worried about the ethanol wash. Um, I reclaim it. So the way, the way that I reduce waste is by uh, 
is by uh, doing a, a distillation process. So I reclaim as much of my alcohol as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, the really important thing is not that I reclaim the alcohol, it's what I do with the waste. So you're getting these gallons and gallons of liquid that has these these urethanes floating around it and they are not good. They are bad for the environment, they are bad for you, they are, they are bad, bad, bad. So what we're doing is we're taking and we're distilling off all the alcohol and we're reducing it to a solid waste. And that solid waste is much easier for our waste management system to handle. And so we're not just going and dumping gallons of this stuff down the drain. We're taking, you know, these little blocks to waste management and they're being labeled to let them know how these need to be appropriately disposed of to reduce their impact. Mm-hmm. Um, something that I, I very much worry about is the uh, the uptick and the use of what are called water washable resins. Bad, very bad stuff. They're great. They're great for printing and they're easier to process. But I think there's two things happening there that really scare me. Uh, Urethanes in general are not hydrophilic. They don't like water. In order to make them like water, you have to add in diluents that are now that make them compatible. Those diluents are very strong skin sensitizers. So I think we have people that see water washable and they say to themselves, oh, it's it's safer, it's water washable, it's safer. Actually, a lot of those are bad and even worse than the alcohol ones. Now, I can't talk for all of them and I'm not a, I'm not a chemist, I'm not a chemical engineer, I'm a mechanical and industrial engineer, that's my background. So I think it's something you should really probably you know, bring on somebody who knows this stuff. But but my experience has been that the water washables are stronger dermal sensitizers. And if you go and you look at the SDSs, they also tend to have those same um, specific organ toxicity warnings, those same uh, you know bioaccumulation where they get in the river and then they, they accumulate in the fish type of warnings. Mm-hmm. And you have people that are washing with water and what do they do with that water and resin mixture? Yeah, They, they put it down the drain because they don't know any better. Yeah, um, and I'm just going to mention this. It's I haven't done a whole lot of resin prints in a couple of years. Um, it hasn't been necessary, and um, I just didn't like it. <laughs> but uh, one of the things that I did was um, when I had that mixture of alcohol and resin, um, I actually used the UV light to... Uh, on settle it out yeah yeah, on that alcohol urethane mix and it would cause that that to make to drop back out um and then i could filter the the alcohol and and hopefully reuse it but uh that was one of the things that i experimented with yeah all right well um do you have any final things that you want to mention oh let me think um I don't think I have anything we can we can shove into five minutes. I've got lots of. Uh, I, I was hoping we could we could go and, and talk some mold stuff, but we might have to do that on a on a different one. We might, we might have to do a whole separate mold technology uh, video. But if you get free time to do that, I'd love to come back. Okay, yeah, because we've got absolutely. a whole stack of stuff over here on the other side of the table we didn't even look at. Oh god. <laughs> Well, um, I absolutely appreciate you taking the time to do this. I mean, I just, I geeked out so hard tonight. Um, I loved every minute of it. And I hope that folks did too. I mean, uh, we had a lot of great questions and a lot of feedback. And um, yeah, I'm just, 
I'm spent. <laughs> All right. Well, Matt, uh, with Shop Dad, thank you so much. I'm going to do a quick outro here, and uh, I will talk to you in just a couple of moments. All right? Great. Thank you for having me on. Yay! All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. I had a blast tonight. It's been a long time since I've had a chance to just geek out with somebody who really enjoys the the nerdiness and the engineering side of what it is that we do. Um, I know that George put it into the chat, but I'll remind everybody that anything that we mentioned tonight is not sponsored in any way. Uh, just our opinions and things that we actually have experiences with. Um, so take that for what it is. There is a Patreon as well. So if you want to support us in some small way, you can jump over to patreon.com slash Amabiti and join us there. And with that, I am out and I'll see you next week when we have, oh, geez, I screwed up. I'm supposed to have this silk arts. We have silk arts coming up next week. Chillo fantasy the week after that Kizu and friends. And as I mentioned earlier, we have Kristen from Pleasure Forge coming on in August. Uh, so, yeah. And with that, I am out, and we'll do it again next week. Bye. <laughs>